Hello everyone, welcome. Episode 8 is Saving Private Ryan. This is our last episode before the Christmas specials. Watch out for those. We've got a two-parter, two episodes coming up about Christmas. But before that, war and death. War and death. And a lot of war and a lot of death. It's two hours and 45 minutes, this film. Yep, and on the snog-to-death ratio, it is 100% death. (laughs) What did you think of Saving Private Ryan, my love? Well, I've got some issues. About the film, or just... Okay, the... the premise of the film is that there's four sons and three of them have died in the war. And so because they think four sons is too many sons to die, one of the sons, the one that's alive, gets sent back home. Because, th- you know, that's nice for the one. I mean, nicer than four dead sons. Can I drop some facts on you? This film is based on a book by Stephen E. Ambrose, and in that he recounts a story about the Niland brothers, or Nyland brothers, and they did have a scenario a bit like this. Two of the brothers were killed. One was presumed killed, but actually was in a prisoner of war camp in Burma, and the fourth one was then sent home, because they didn't want all four brothers to die, to work as an MP, a military policeman in the US for the rest of the war and then at the end of the war they found that third brother who they thought had been killed so there's elements of truth in this story or there's there's a premise oh yeah i'm not saying i'm not saying it's there's no truth in it i'm just saying where do you draw the line and i've invented a little game show <laughs> for you and you can work out where you would draw the line okay Hooray. so in this film and yeah. possibly in real life if you got four sons and three die, the other one gets set back to you. But where do you draw the line? So, Welcome to our new segment, Where Do You Draw the Line? Uh, I've got six scenarios for you. And I've got two uh, sound-making apparatus for you uh, oh, that I found in the kids' room. First is this. That's going to symbolise death. Because <laughs> it's like an ambulance. It's the... We didn't have any death-making toys in this house. And this little ocarina shaped like a bird is going to symbolise life. Avid listeners might recognise that (laughs) ocarina from the excellent improvised podcast Friends Through the Letterbox. (laughs) Check it out if you like surreal improvisation and Dan's voice. That's quite a nice review, though. Right, so we've got... <laughs> okay. I've got to make a noise. So pretend you're the guy, whoever the sergeant is or whatever, who's in charge of being like, oh, yeah, we should send that one back because they've already had three dead sons. Okay. And you've got to decide, in this scenario, would you save someone from a war, like they did with Ryan, or would you let him carry on and potentially die? Okay. Save from war or more war. Yep. Okay. Yeah. You ready? Yeah. Scenario one. You've got two sons and just one dies. Let the other one die as well. Wait, so that's... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that must happen loads of times. Like, two is the most common number of children you can have. You, You can't be just saving... 
every other child. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. That's not that's what like war 50%, is about. Percent, like, so I wonder, is it a percentage or... I don't know. Anyway, so two is easy, but four, we've already established, is uh, you save one. Okay, scenario number two. You've got three sons and one daughter who, you know, doesn't go to war because she's a woman. Two of the sons die. You still let the third one die because she's got a daughter. Oh, yeah, the daughter will carry on. Okay, fine. I think we're approaching, uh, <laughs> we're approaching my limit already. All right, scenario three. You've got one son and three stepsons. <laughs> <laughs> the three stepsons die. Ooh. Do you send the one son home? I mean, they're part of the family. They're not like distant stepsons. You've like helped brought them up. <laughs> you've let... You've let the one son live. Save that son. Okay. The true son. All right. Scenario four. You've got four sons and you're pregnant. What? I'm pregnant? (laughs) Three of the sons have died. So it's the same scenario as in the film, but she's pregnant. So is the pregnancy enough to sort of keep her going? Should you let the fourth son die or not? Like... Does she need a grown-up son to help her? What about the husband? Because it's hard. Where's yeah, I that was something I was going to come to later as well. Like, he, they never mention oh, a, a dad, a dad can't deal with three sons dying. He's obviously fine with it because men are well hard. They can go with anything. They're emotionally like, numb. He's just not mentioned the whole film, like as if a dad just wouldn't be bothered by three sons dying. He's but a, but a mum, you know, we've got to look out for her. So, four sons, but she's pregnant. Are you going to let him live or die? Okay, you've let him live. Okay, we've got two more left. Okay. Scenario number five. You've got five sons. <laughs> two are Siamese twins. <laughs> <laughs> so, obviously, they can't fight in the war, so they're at home. The other three go off to fight, and two of them die. So she's <laughs> let the other one die. Kill that sucker. No, don't just let him die. Shoot him. Put him right up the front. David and Bathsheba, because she's that got sucker. Because she's got the she's Siamese. got the, the Siamese twins. <laughs> All right. And last scenario. Okay, you've got one husband and two sons away at war. Uh, but she also has two dogs that really mean a lot to her. <laughs> <laughs> the husband and one son dies. Would you send the remaining son back or are you like, she's fine because she's got two dogs? <laughs> Kill that son. Kill that son. She's got great dogs. All right. What kind of dog? Wait, I didn't ask what kind of dog. Um, Dalmatian. Ah. She's got 101 Dalmatians. <laughs> she one, is. She needs some help. That's a busy household. Interesting. That's what I just thought the whole way through. Like, how many sons do you have? To have to be dead before one can get saved because like you did in scenario one just two sons and one dying that's not that's not good enough harsh what we've learned is war is a tricky old beast <laughs> especially for mothers but fathers fathers are necessary but silly so other than that um the film was all right i assume you enjoy it or else you wouldn't have picked it I enjoy bits of it. It's a hard watch. Quite a lot of death. 
an extraordinary amount of death, especially at the start. It was it was interesting. So the the first scene is um, old Private Ryan, although you don't know it's Private Ryan at the start, mm-hmm. going to going through the one of the Normandy um, cemeteries, World War Two cemeteries, and then that's a nice slow kind of build up, and then yeah, it I goes like straight into. Omaha Beach, D Day, June the sixth, nineteen forty-four, and it's like, whoa, there, there's an insane amount of death. I think that first bit is like twenty-five minutes or something. Yeah, it's it's something like that. Of death, of like intestines, red water because of all the blood. Yeah, they people got people walking on dead bodies, and so they filmed in Ireland, the Republic of Ireland. Um, on a big beach because it had similar features to what they were looking for. They used 40 barrels of fake blood Whoa. to turn the sea red for that shot. 40 barrels? I yeah. wonder how many litres in a barrel. I have done poor research. Um, I th- I don't know if it was 40 gallons. It might have been gallon barrels. Let's say yes. Um, I read they used 2,500 Irish reserve troops. Real like soldiers, yeah. yeah. Well, reserve soldiers, yeah. And um, they used a bunch of amputees. Did they? To, um, so there's a scene where... Sorry, there's a shot in the middle of that sequence where there's a guy looking for his arm. He's, like, wandering around the beach looking for his arm and then he bends down and picks it up with his other... Oh, yeah, I remember that. You know, he's, but it turns out he's probably an above-elbow amputee acting. In, I think he has something like 25 or 30 amputees in that sequence so that they could have some of these remarkable shots. That's correct. I mean, is is that fun as an amputee or would you be a bit offended to be asked? I th- or would you be like, oh, great. I mean, if it was the day after you lost the <laughs> I don't think it would be. I think the day after you'd be in hospital, wouldn't you? You'd be a, yeah, but Steven Spielberg rocks around <laughs> and goes, hang on, mate, here's another one. Do you think he just hangs out in, in <laughs> amputee wards? <laughs> I'm making a war film. A trip like, to the amputee wards. Good news and bad news. <laughs> bad news, you're going to have to have your arm cut off. But good news, do you want to be in my movie? You could have a fleeting shot at being an extra <laughs> in a war film. Some people like want to be actors enough that they'd probably let themselves be amputated just to get that role. And we call those people psychopaths. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a really big sequence. That, I mean, there's loads going on. It's interesting. Tom Hanks is the lead actor in this film. And he said one of the first days of filming, because they filmed that beach scene sort of chronologically over a big sequence of days, he was in a landing craft and the door drops and the first four or five guys get shot and die and bits go flying everywhere. Ew. And he said it, it like he knew it was all fake, but it took him by surprise. I don't know why it took him by surprise, because there's a scene in Toy Story where he pulls Buzz's arm off. Which came first, <laughs> Toy Story or uh, Saving Private Oh, Ryan? yeah. I don't know, actually, but it's similar, because he's Woody. Yeah, so it's very realistic, that start sequence... And so much so that a number of uh, World War Two and Vietnam War veterans who went to see this in the theatre, in the cinema, sorry, left because it was giving them flashbacks and fear. And That's kind of mean to invite those people. I don't know if he invited them. I don't know if it was like a prank. 
Oh, like oh, it wasn't like just the premiere. People who like... went to see the film. Okay, I heard that they actually had to set up like a phone-in hotline for people who've been disturbed by the film, like for for veterans. Yeah, I I think it's it sounds like Steven Spielberg started out wanting to make a bit more of a light-hearted war romp, and then started. <laughs> Is that a thing? Oh yeah, I mean you don't really watch war films, but there's some that I are do. A lot more I watch the sound of music. <laughs> a light-hearted war romp. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> There's some that are a lot more kind of, well, hey, war. And Steven Spielberg started talking to some people who'd been on the beaches and things like that and decided, oh, actually, no, this needs to be a lot more serious. So the premise is they get sent through enemy-occupied France, northern France, to go and rescue this fourth son. Yeah, and the whole way through, they're like, oh... Is this worth it? Because, like, two people died on the way just to save this one person. But what I think... It's not like those people would have been fine and safe anyway. Like, they could have died doing... If they weren't doing that mission, they would have been doing another deathy mission. So, I think that was a poor argument. You think, they signed up to be soldiers, they're going to be murdered anyway, so let's just send them off on a senseless one. If it was... Doing that mission or going home, then fair enough to say, oh, okay, two people died doing this mission to save one person. It's not worth it. But that wasn't the choice. They would have been just doing something else. He does sort of address this in the film. Tom Hanks has a a bit of a speech about how he knows how many people have died under his command. He says it's 94. But for each one of those who have died, he's saved two or five or ten or twenty people so you know you saved all these people and their ultimate goal is to win the war and stop the fighting but they think that saving private ryan doesn't contribute either to winning the war or stopping the fighting but it's just nice for the mum yeah it's heartwarming for that lady who doesn't get any lines or anything yeah right do you know how i would uh do this film before is to rewrite it and make it much better I have a feeling you might be about to tell me. So, first of all, the whole point of the film is we're doing this as a nice thing to the mum. But there's no scene of, like, where they get reunited. That's true. Why is there no scene where he's coming home and she's, like, crying and, you know, it it makes her life livable again, that he's home? That would have been a nice scene. I also would do, I've put here, 65% less shooting. 65% less. Please tell me about the formula you used to g- arrive at that percentage. There was definitely too much. So how long is the film again? Two hours 45, give or take. Yeah, you could just cut out so much shooting. Because that first bit that's 25 minutes long, you don't even know the characters yet, so you sort of don't care. Like, after a bit, it's just... It's too much. Like After like 10 minutes of shooting, you're desensitised to it and you have to just switch off to it, especially when you don't even know the characters. Mm. That that scene could be like five minutes, fine. <laughs> and then the other big shooty bit near the end in that town by that bridge that they're trying to save. I don't really get why they're trying to save a bridge, but whatever. That bit, like you do care a bit more about the characters then. So that's 
that's fine. Let's have 10 minutes of shooting there. <laughs> but you could cut so much out. And then what I think they should add is a few more non-shooty scenes, like the mum scene that I said. Also, I was thinking maybe like some flashbacks to the brothers growing up. Stuff like that might be nice just to change it up a bit and it not just be death. You know that bit at the end, uh, just before the final too long war scene, yeah, um, where they're at that bridge you don't see the point of, mm-hmm. and they have that fight you're not bothered about. Matt Damon, because Matt Damon plays Saving Private Ryan, yeah, and uh, and he has got very nice teeth. <laughs> so, <laughs> is that it? Is I mean, he's a like, he's a nice looking man. Well done. All right. I mean, th- he got. I upgraded. think actually the the true tragedy of this is that he's now an ugly old man. But his teeth are probably still lovely. Maybe. So Matt Damon was originally cast because he wasn't a big, well-known name. But then Goodwill Hunting happened, and he turned into a big star. Yeah, because that was his first big film was Good Goodwill Hunting. Mm-hmm. And then this was just after it, wasn't it? Yeah, a couple of years later or a year later, I think. So he, but he does a scene at the end with uh, Timothy Hanks, where they talk about his brothers and how they're in a barn and some shenanigans are going down. And uh, apparently, Matt Damon improvised all that. No, oh, well done him. Well done him. Um, and Mr. Steven Spielberg's said. It can stay because it's not a great story. It's not super funny. It's not super insightful. It's, but it's just kind of the thing that they thought he would have said, so they uh, left it in. That's nice. Yeah. I read that Robin Williams was the one to introduce Matt Damon to Steven Spielberg. That's nice. Because Robin Williams is also in Goodwill Hunting. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I thought was interesting was how Steven Spielberg had. Tom Hanks and Tom Sizemore and that group of actors Mm -hmm. who were playing the squad sent to rescue uh, Matt Damon, Private Ryan, he had them do like a week of boot camp that was apparently really really hard work, but he excluded Matt Damon. He made sure Matt Damon didn't go because he wanted the other actors to form a bond like the soldiers would have had and to feel resent resentment towards Matt Damon. That's so weird to like engineer a situation where there's resentment. I was thinking about that before, and I was like, you couldn't have just asked them to act a bit more. Like you didn't, yeah. he didn't trust his actors, so he built in some extra subconscious resentment. Also, I would or I would already be resenting him because he's harder than the others and his good teeth. You think he's the hottest in the film? Yeah. Easy. Who do you think's the hottest? And who do you think's the ugliest? Good question. I don't know. I mean, it's Scott Finn Diesel, and he's, he typically ticks some boxes for some people. Tom Hanks no. has got a sort of kind of um, charm to him. Um, it did have quite a big ensemble cast. Lots of people. Ted Danson's in it. Paul Giamatti's in it. I don't know who any these of these are. These are men that I'm just listing. I read up about uh, Tom Sizemore, did you? Tom Sizemore. Yes, I did read up mm, about him. That's sad. He has had a troubled life, shall we say. And he's troubled some other people. He has. He's Mainly women. He's been in prison a few times. Well, no, he's done community service and 
some rehabilitation programs. So the thing that's interesting about Tom Sizemore whilst they were filming Private Ryan is that Steven Spielberg knew he was struggling with drug addiction and had him drug tested every day. And he said, if you fail a drug test, I will kick you off the set, I'll kick you off the film and I will reshoot. I don't care. Yeah, I read that. Even if it's the last day, I'll reshoot I'll reshoot the whole thing. Which is like a motivation to not do drugs. Yeah, I read up about him because apparently, obviously he was drug free through or didn't fail a drug test through the filming. And then I was like, oh, I wonder what happened afterwards. And it didn't go well. No, it didn't. Uh, it's it's not a happy read, Tom Sizemore's kind of biography. Yeah, and I spotted Brian Cranston. Uh, Who's he? He's famous for playing Walter White in the Breaking Bad TV show. He's at the start of the film playing an amputee, and he's not an amputee. And I always love that kind of thing where you can see oh, that person's shoulders look like they are the normal size wide, and so does his chest, and that's quite clearly where he's just tucked his arm in his shirt. That's funny. Like in uh, Moulin Rouge when that guy went on his knees. Oh, honestly. (laughs) I'd forgotten about him. Oh, happy news about Matt Damon, though, right? He's only been married once, and I always want to give like a shout-out to famous actors that have managed to stay married they're still on their first wives it's so rare um who's he married to a woman they got four kids oh one of them's hers four kids (laughs) well guys (laughs) don't send them off to war because you could be facing some tricky decisions yeah so no wait he's got three kids and a (laughs) stepkid yeah what scenario was that (laughs) wait that was one of your scenarios wasn't it three sets of the ones that yeah um what did you say? That was scenario three. I think I said bring the real son back. Okay. <laughs> I think some were daughters. Maybe all daughters. I do agree, though, that the end big battle felt a bit long. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so the the first big battle the d-day landings like it's a big deal in war history what does the d stand for in d-day well no it's like the b in d-day b-day <laughs> <laughs> the thing that you the toilet thing yes it's also a joke because b-day is spelled b-i-d-e-t <laughs> don't make those jokes with dyslexic d is d departure because v-e day stands for victory in europe Yes. Day. And VJ Day stands for the <laughs> Jassel Day. <laughs> I don't know what the D stands for in D Day. Probably everyone who's sort of like 70 and over is ashamed of me right now. All our 70 and <laughs> over demographic. <laughs> it reminds me of that bit in the IT crowd. Where they're like, but what does IT stand for? But what doesn't it stand for? <laughs> Um, classic Graham Linehan. If you know, Ryan. <laughs> if you know what the D in D-Day stands for, please let us know. Dirt Day, because it was dirty. Dirt Day. Think of something else it could stand for. Dead Day. Dead Day. Death Day. Yeah. Ditch Day, did they go in ditches? Or that was World War One, wasn't it? Ditch. Oh, no, they did have some. The Ditch War. <laughs> the Ditch War. 
Yeah, I know. Why don't we just see, <laughs> quiz you and see how much you actually know about war? No, not enough. I wish I did know more because it is kind of interesting. But I know like primary school knowledge, which they only teach you the nice bits. And I know this from then again, doing as an adult doing art stuff in primary schools about a war, about World War Two. Um, I remember once telling a kid they could draw like a bomber plane and then I got told off and told we don't do that in <laughs> when we teach about World War Two, we only teach about the home front. We teach about women in factories, we teach about evacuees and rationing. Just like the jolly bits. We don't tell them that people died and Nazis and all the horrible stuff. But I feel like you should mention that stuff. Or else, what did everyone win the war for? We're really fortunate to have lived through some wars, but only as in time-wise. So the wars have happened whilst we've been alive, but we have not been impacted by them. You know, two Gulf Wars. We went to Croatia uh, in 2013 and met people our age who had lived through actual fighting and, you know, war in the Balkans. We went to Lebanon and people have lived through war and conflict there. We're some of the few societies now, I think, that can kind of glorify war on the screen and study it in books and whatever, whilst being really quite far removed from it all. Hey! What? 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 We're interrupting our own podcast uh, to talk about something you might be interested in. Great. If you're interested in films. I'm interested in films. Great. Uh, we've got two little things to plug. One of them is our lovely friend, Gary Lunt. We love Gary. Yeah, I don't think... Have you ever met him? I'm allowed to love someone he's from afar. <laughs> he's my friend. Anyway. Through binoculars. Don't, uh, don't keep your friends from me. He runs a great company called Real Tours. Do you know how he spells that? R-E-E. Like a reel of a film. Ooh, He's really into films. And he does tours. He's really into films. Really into films. He does tours of Liverpool because Liverpool is a great filming location. It's been on such films as Harry Potter, uh, Sherlock Holmes and Batman, for example. Um, And he can take you on a tour around all of those exciting places. He also, in the lockdown times, when people aren't really meeting up and doing things like that... Not much tour business. He does a film quiz every third Wednesday of the month, uh, which is free, and it's on YouTube, on his YouTube channel, at 8pm. We did it last time, didn't we? Yeah. I wasn't as good as I thought I was going to be, actually. Yeah, it was hard. It was fun, though. It was really fun. Um, So you can look up Real Tours on YouTube, Instagram, all of those things, and make friends with my friend, Gary. Please be my friend, Gary. (laughs) Uh, We've got one more thing. Quickly, quickly. Shout out. It's our our podcast pen pals. Podcast pen pals. Um, We don't want you to love them more than you love us obviously that's impossible but if you if you've listened to all of our podcasts five times we'll permit you <laughs> to love them 60 percent as much as you love us um 
to listen to this. It's hair, beard, bald. Hair, beard, bald. There are three men. One has hair, one has a beard, and one is bald. And I think they probably all have hair. We haven't investigated <laughs> deeply. The down hair. No, that's <laughs> not. Like, that's rude. What about chest hair? What about leg <laughs> hair? What about arm hair? What about armpit? We hair? were going to keep this brief. <laughs> um, Crack on. They do a podcast where they have a theme each week. For example, horror films, and they'll each pick their favorite horror film, and then it's like a competition, and people get to vote on Instagram for their favorite. And then whoever doesn't win the best, the most votes has to do a forfeit. And they've already done a mid-season forfeit. <gasps> and this guy <gasps> had to eat <gasps> like kangaroo testicle. Maybe it was sheep. Sheep's testicles that they bought off the internet. Ooh. Yeah. And that was in the mid-season forfeit. So who knows how bad it's going to go. The final um, season forfeit, he'll have to eat his own testicle. <laughs> um, just an idea so guys just an idea check that out it's quite fun and interactive that's Herbie Bald it's on all of the things give them a listen yep now back to us <laughs> woohoo speaking of charming lovely things uh, that battle at the end Yep. They send a. They send. They're in this town, protecting this bridge, but they want. The, the, they know the Germans are coming, the enemy, but they want the enemy to come a certain way. So they send out two men on a half-track motorbike. Oh, that was a cool motorbike. Yeah, there are two of them left in the world, and one recently sold at auction for fifty-one thousand pounds. So it's like a tank version of a motorbike. It's got a motorbike front wheel and two tank tracks on the back. If a tank was its dad and a motorbike was its mum, this is the vehicle you would get. Yes, yeah. And it was meant for going quickly across battlefields and pulling armoured guns and stuff. It was cool. I think you said to me, I'd go around the world on the back of one of them. Yeah, totally. Or an ice cream van. Han and Dan's ice cream van to Japan. That was one of our... Life plans. <laughs> yeah. That's the Still next could podcast. Happen. <laughs> uh, so all the costumes that they wore, they made 3,500 custom-made military uniforms. That because lot. lots of military uniforms do exist, but, like, say if you're a museum and, like, Steelberg is, like... Steelberg? <laughs> what's his name? Stevenberg. Stevenberg. Spiel Stevenberg's. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Steve St- <laughs> is like Oh yeah, sure. I'll um I'll borrow these uniforms for your museum. Yeah, I'll 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 wash them and bring them back. They'd probably be like, No, you know what museum people are like. They need to lighten up a bit. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> because museum people are stuffy, they had to make their own costumes because they wanted to get them muddy and stuff. Muddy and bloody. Yep. There were... Like so that's a big job. It is. I mean, do you want to move on to the, the jobs and the... No, I've got something to say about the uh, fighting in France, which is the big, big fight at the end. Tell me about the fighting in France, the big, big fight. I'll tell you a bit I enjoyed and didn't enjoy. Yes. 
a little bit of light relief in that huge bloody battle scene was when the guy was up in the tower. So two guys were like posted up in a high tower so they could see what was going on and see the enemy coming. And when they had to communicate down to the people on the ground of what they could see or whatever, they played like a little game of charades. And I was like, oh, that's funny. It's a film. Army charades. (laughs) And it just made me think of Christmas with the family. And that was a bit of light relief from all the death for a second. Uh, Another bit that I didn't enjoy so much that I wanted to talk about was the bit where that creepy guy goes into the house to kill someone, but for some reason they've decided to have a proper, like a pub fight, not a army fight, and they end up sort of like wrestling, and then he like stabs him, and he's like right up, he's like lying on top of him, and they're face to face. That's the closest you get to like a snog. Is him just like jabbing a knife into him. And I just think that is, I don't know why, but that is worse than just killing someone with a gun. Killing someone with a gun is like what you're meant to do in a war. It's kind of fair enough. But when you're like face to face, like an inch away from their face, and you're just stabbing a knife into their flesh, that seems a bit more mean. What do you think? Um, yeah, that's an interesting take on it. I think soldiers might disagree because it's, it's not just guns. It's grenades, it's knives, it's There tanks. was a lot of different... There was a surprising amount of weapons, wasn't there, of <laughs> different things? <laughs> Sorry, you watched a war film and you were surprised at the no, diversity uh, of weapons. The variety of weapons, yeah, yeah. Uh, the different. It wasn't just like, oh, yeah, we've all got this one gun. There was like ones that looked like a tube, like a drain pipe. You know the drain pipe gun. The drain pipe gun. There were loads of different kinds, and the best kind was the bazooka, which I don't know what a bazooka is, but it just reminds me of Verukas <laughs> because of that advert from like late nineties. Bazooka, that Veruca. There's a guy with it. <laughs> Look, that guy in the tank has got a little Veruca <laughs> on his foot. Get the bazooka. <laughs> That's funny. Um, Do you think the makers of Bazooka gave permission for the makers of the Veruca cream to use their brand name? Do you think we've stumbled upon (laughs) patent infringement or like (laughs) trademark infringement it would be, wouldn't it? Does it it bring down the reputation of Bazookas? I think it belittles <laughs> bazookas a bit, doesn't it? <laughs> Are you telling me I have invented a weapon that can destroy a tank and somebody's <laughs> taken the same name and made it foot cream? <laughs> that's funny. Do you think there's any shop, it would be in America definitely, that sells both things? Because they sell guns everywhere. <laughs> A two for one deal. Imagine going into like a a pharmacy slash gun shop and being like, oh, I'll have a bazooka, please. Pistols and podiatry. (laughs) Imagine if you accidentally shoot off your foot. Well, that would solve the need (laughs) for the other kind of bazooka. You go in and ask for bazooka and they give you a gun and you're just American and 
So you, <laughs> you think, oh yeah, this is normal, and then you shoot your foot off. But to be fair, that has solved your Veruca problem. So I just said that. Oh, I didn't get what you said. Yeah, you were you were in mid flow. I feel like I might have to call you on the you're just so American you don't think twice <laughs> and bazooka your foot <laughs> off. Sorry, I think that it's one of the races you're like allowed to be say stuff about. But we do have that seven percent listenership in the the Americas. Yeah, hopefully they also laugh at like white conservative right wing uh, gun owning Americans. <laughs> hopefully we're not big with that crowd. Otherwise, we have just chopped that listenership oh, out. Wow. What I thought of was, do you think anybody's ever tried to take down a tank with foot cream? <laughs> I'm going to say no. Oh, okay. <laughs> what about any quotes from the film that you liked? Uh, no, I haven't got any, sorry. I'll go then. <laughs> At the end, Private Ryan is now an old man, played by Harrison Young. We liked that. Um, and he turns to his wife and says, tell me I'm a good man. Tell me I've lived a good life. Which I felt like is what a lot of people get to the end and want to know oh did I did I do all right with this like I found that quite powerfully emotional yeah. yeah I did like the bit with the old the old man I think that made it feel more relevant and also in that time when it came out there would be loads of people alive that had memories of of World War Two. Yeah, it came out in ninety eight, I think, or yeah. ninety-nine. Um I've got some nice little facts about Tom Hanks. Okay. Did you know he has been given the honour of being a honorary citizen of Greece? Okay. Because in twenty eighteen there was some wildfire near Athens and he brought global attention to it. Um so that they could get some money and stuff like that. And so whoever's in charge of Greece went, oh, you can have a passport. Did he get a passport? Yeah, him and his wife got wow. Greek passports now. Nice. I don't know if there's any real advantage to a Greek passport, but... I suppose if Trump had got re-elected, nice. he could have moved to Greece. Yeah. Tom Hanks is so rich, he could probably buy Greece. Yeah. He he seems like a nice a nice guy, though. He had COVID recently. He collects typewriters. That's something I know about Tom Hanks. Really? Yeah. My uh, mum bought me a book of short stories he's written as well. Oh, the music. The music is a powerful thing in this. So there's long sections of the film without music, but it opens with a lovely horn melody. It's um, Sing it for me. Play it on the ocarina. No. It's uh, John Williams. Who's done it. I think music, we all know, when done well, can really manipulate them, the emotions or enhance yeah. the effect, the emotionally manipulative effect. I wonder what it is about music. Like, it is kind of a powerful thing. Like, the fact that some music can make you dance, that's mental, that, like, a sound can make you wiggle your body around. <laughs> Or a sound can make you feel a bit weepy. 
It's got like a mm. magical power. Yes. What is music? Deep. Should we do a credit shout out? Yes, absolutely. Let's go. It's time for the credit shout out. Shout out! Shout out! That's what this podcast is all about. We big up a person with a silly job or name. Like shoe coordinator. This is bound to lead to their future fame. Well, top of my credit guy list is Guy List. Oh. There's a man called Guy List. Nice. I love that at some point he must have been the top of somebody's Guy List. <laughs> I just think that's a funny name. He is one of the stunt performers. Yes. Alongside Tiddler James. Tiddler James. Is that his first name? Tiddler. I imagine it's a stage name. And his last name, James. James Tiddler wouldn't be too weird, but Tiddler James. A tiddler, 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 James. <laughs> it's unusual. Well, um, well done to you guys and Tiddlers. <laughs> <laughs> and James is everywhere. <laughs> I've got Landing Craft Coordinator, Ken Murgatroyd. Good name. Thanks. I just quite like saying Murgatroyd. It's, um, didn't somebody used to say that in one of the old Hanna-Barbera cartoons? Know. Okay. Well, somebody will. Uh, write in. Usual address. Plate restoration from Trangbach. Trangbach. I didn't see any plates get destroyed in this film. There uh, wasn't like a, a Greek. <laughs> Greek wedding. <laughs> I must have drifted off in that Greek wedding scene. You do have a habit of doing that. My big fat Greek wedding slept all the way through that, didn't you? <laughs> I think I said wedding. <laughs> I've put. Have we done credit shout out? Yeah, let's move on. I've put. It's crazy that all this stuff happened, you know, war and stuff. <laughs> and now you have to fill in a risk assessment to take kids to the zoo. Yeah, I think you might have to do risk assessments in war nowadays. Chance of death, very high. <laughs> but no, th- then you're meant to not do it. You have to like give... Have you ever done a risk assessment? No, I've never done a war either. You have to think of what possible things could happen, i.e. Right. death. Whoa. And then rate them on how severe that is. So death would be number 10 out of 10 of like... That's severe. severe. And then you have to think of likelihood that that will happen right so that would be like an eight out of ten and times those numbers by each other so that would be like an 80 for war and that is way too that is way too high so that shouldn't happen right why didn't they just come to some kind of verbal agreement or like play a game of like rock scissors paper or Rock, like scissors, surely paper. It's never been called that in the history of rock, scissors, <laughs> what's paper. It, what's it called? Paper, scissors, rock? No, I'm joking. Rock, paper, scissors. Stone, papyrus. Cutter. <laughs> Slice machine. 
whatever but like surely there's a way to just have some chats or it seems or like send virtual men or send virtual men i feel like if women are in charge we would have come up with a better solution than just thousands of people dying it's quite possible unfortunately we can't go back and undo that we can just try and get more women now in positions of power to stop us having big world wars yeah or you You know just sensible people in general let's not be gendered about it ladies are certainly helping yeah Jacinda Oh, we all heart Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. I've got a couple more bits I liked, actually. Um, I found a new page of notes. I like the bit where he got chewing gum out of his mouth and put it on a mirror to, like, look behind him to see the enemy. But I wondered, are they allowed to chew? Is that not a hazard? Like... In a P lesson, which is the closest I've come to a war, <laughs> <laughs> you're not allowed to chew. Because it's a hazard. It's dangerous, isn't it? You could choke on it. I think that choking on chewing gum was probably low down the risk assessment for the yeah. soldiers. More likely that they Also smoking. Get they always smoke, didn't they? Yeah, because they didn't know it was bad for them. They didn't know it was bad for them back then. Oh, imagine going through a whole war, surviving a war and then dying from smoking. I'd be sad. Yep. I also, I enjoyed the bit where they found this guy who was also called Ryan. Ryan's the surname. What's his first name? James. Okay, they found another James Ryan that they thought was him. And they were like, we've got some bad news. Your brothers are dead. And he's like, obviously devastated and everything. And then it turns out he's not the same one. He's got a diff- He's from a different place in America and he's got a different middle name and stuff. And then he's like, what? So my brothers aren't dead? And they're like, yeah, prob- probably they're fine. Because the first front, played by Nathan Fillion, who is, uh, went on to star in uh, Firefly and Serenity, if you're interested in that, in Castle, um, he, his brothers are in school back home Oh like, yeah, so, so he's, so like, he's like a bit they're confused. killed in the war. He's like, how? how? They're <laughs> at school back home. What, what was going yeah. on? What kind of war? Do you reckon he goes to like parties and tries to chat up girls and is like, oh, I was um, Private Ryan in Saving Private Ryan because that is technically true. And girls who haven't seen this film, which is all girls, <laughs> I'm the only female <laughs> to have ever sat through this film. Well, be then like, oh, nice. you were doing a public service to all <laughs> other females. So they, they find a first Ryan, and then they find the actual Ryan, uh, played by Matt Damon, James Francis Ryan, and he doesn't want to go home. Yeah, which I think that's a bit mean. He's not going home for his own sake. He's going home for his poor mum. <laughs> um, so that's a bit selfish they should at that point phone the mum and be like oh he doesn't want to go home shall i make him go home like that's what a, a school would do wouldn't what, it? get her on a whatsapp video call <laughs> are you forgetting this, this is yeah world war Two. well like anyway i feel like that was a bit selfish of him and like lucky he does survive but most of them die so 
anyway, yeah, he's like, no, I've come here to do my mission. Let's do our mission and then I'll, I'll go home afterwards. Matt, we're disappointed in you. <laughs> but not with your teeth. You've not with really your hot, teeth. hot teeth, though. I bet he just paid money to have them, though. I bet they're not. I'd pay money to have mm. amazing teeth. Like, I've got all right teeth now, but I did have a brace. So I've not got genetically good teeth. I feel like I had to, at some point, tell you that when we met. <laughs> <laughs> or else I'd be sort of leading you on, and you're always thinking they were genetically Did you think nice I teeth? was for you, for your, with you, for your hot teeth? <laughs> and then you were like, oh no, my children are going to have ugly braces. Fortunately... So far, they have quite good teeth. No, we can't tell yet. They've still got their baby teeth. Which is why I said fortunately so far. On that note, I think it's the end. Okay. So, what's coming next? Part one of Christmas. Part one is a film from me. The best Christmas film there is. Love Actually. Well, we'll soon find out if it's the best Christmas film, I think. Um, I've never seen it before, so it'll be my first time watching through this and um yeah cool okay thanks everyone bye I would